Hey everyone, it's Mariah and Danny. Welcome to our podcast, Behind Behavior, where we take a look at the science behind behavior and how we actually use it in real life. Short disclaimer, nothing we say on this podcast in any way reflects the opinions of our employers or the BACB. All opinions are our own. Also, there may or may not be some explicit content or language in this episode. One of us tends to swear, and the other one usually doesn't. Join us to find out. Hi. I am not your usual host. (laughs) No, there's a new voice in my headphones. Yeah, who could this be? It's me. Hi. I'm the problem, but I'm really not. (laughs) Okay, Taylor. All right, today we have a guest speaker with us, Dr. Kayla Crook. She's a BCBAD and assistant professor at the University of Mississippi. And today we're going to talk about pursuing a PhD specifically in applied behavior analysis, the pros, cons, and if it's worth it or not. I know that I wrote specifically in ABA, but Kayla's PhD was not in ABA. So, no, it technically is in special education with an emphasis in applied behavior analysis. Okay, so we'll talk about a PhD with an emphasis in yeah. applied behavior analysis then. <laughs> That's me. Hi. <laughs> you want to tell us about yourself a little bit, Kayla, who you are, oh what you gosh. like? What? Okay, yes. So... My name is Kayla Crook, and I am currently living in Oxford, Mississippi, and working for the University of Mississippi. Um, if you're questioning the University of Mississippi, what's that? Um, Ole Miss, if you are more familiar with that name, we, that is fine as well. Um, but Ole Miss, UM, it's all the same thing. Um, and Mariah and I met in Carbondale, Illinois, and it's a really unique story, I think. I'll let you tell it, Mariah. Okay. Um, when I was an undergrad, I think I've already mentioned this on the podcast before, but I was a resident assistant basically because I was super poor and I paid for undergrad myself <laughs> and I needed something that could justify my living expenses and being an RA did that. So I had already been an RA for several semesters and one year Kayla shows up on my floor and it's been history ever since. It's been history ever since. So a little backstory. I did the Disney college program before I went to graduate school. So I finished my undergrad in December of 2012. And then I, and so then grad school doesn't start until that next August, right? So there's that weird spring semester. Um, and instead of like, you know, volunteering or maybe working hands-on, I went to Disney um, and it was wonderful and I would do it. And if any of the listeners do it, go and do Disney. So there was no time for me to go to Carbondale and apartment hunt before actually starting school. 
And so I did what anyone who has zero idea what Carbondale is like. I signed up for housing just online. Um, and the specific building that I lived in that Mariah was an RA for was like the graduate dorms. So, or at least our floor was, I don't know. That's what they told me. And that's just how it worked out. I mean, it our was dorm, a dorm. <laughs> our dorm was basically, well, being an RA, it was probably the most fun dorm. It was the most adult dorm um but like no one had a roommate like the like it was all singles which is another reason why I signed up for that building because yes. it was grad students and it was all singles everyone had a single room but the the downside to some people could be that our dorm was also the only dorm on campus that truly had community showers and bathrooms but on the flip side, I saved so much money I never had to clean anything, which it was just like pure joy. I honestly did not mind using the shared bathrooms or showers for like three or four years out of my undergrad years. And our dorm, this one only specifically, allowed drinking. So you could actually bring in alcohol. Um, you could drink in like group settings also as long as it wasn't like here's a you know i don't know bottle of whiskey just out in the open you could do whatever you wanted and it was amazing <laughs> i agree i never had a problem with the shared i mean getting up like in the middle of the night sucked right especially because i lived all the way at the end of the hall mariah if you remember mm -hmm. um so like that was just inconvenient but I never felt uncomfortable or anything like that. I thought it was it was a great experience. And also, Mariah would feed me from time to time with her meal card. <laughs> and so I was yeah. really grateful. We had, like, unlimited meal cards. And I just remember, like, so each floor was also co-ed on top of being, like, the adult area or whatever. But anybody had access to either side of the co-edness. But... Mm -hmm. I mean, that still never deterred me from just, like, walking down the hall in a towel. Like, nothing bad ever happened in the dorm. So I was really for it. I love that spot. <laughs> and I love that I got a single room. And all of my residents had single rooms. So that cut down, like, what's your normal complaint living in a dorm? Your roommate? You had no roommate issues. So it was a win-win. I think the only time I came running for Mariah's help was a wasp was in my room. <laughs> I think I remember that. I think I like killed it with a book or something. <laughs> RA slash exterminator here to I'm help. Dead. So yeah, that's me. And I shamelessly reached out and I was like, hey, can I be on your podcast? And she was like, yeah. Obviously. So I finished my master's program in May of 2015 and then immediately moved to Athens, Georgia that July. Started my PhD program, sat for the boards in November of 2015. Um, and then during the program, worked in schools and in the small clinic on campus, supervised master's students, and somehow finished within four years. Um, sometimes it was a struggle. Not going to lie. Killing it. Killing it. That's a lot of work. <laughs> wow. Impressed. Kayla, did you know that Danny is also a Disney adult? <gasps> I no. wanted to do the college program so badly and it didn't it just didn't work out for oh, me. No. <laughs> I'm so no, I didn't know you were Disney adult. That's amazing. 
A hundred, yeah, a hundred percent. Okay, so hot take. I know this is not the right, <laughs> the, the not the same hot take, but the pineapple Dole Whip is trash, and the right kind of Dole Whip is the orange creamsicle and vanilla. That's the, the right. Orange sounds better, anyways. See, and we didn't really grow up eating like the Dole Whips, so like they're good, but I'm not obsessed. You know what? They're it- fine. You know what is an obsession? Mm-hmm. It's the popcorn. They put crack in that popcorn, and I will tell anybody that. The I've never been to Disney, so I actually can't talk about any of this. But where did you choose to do your PhD at? At the University of Georgia in Athens, Georgia. Go dogs. Why did you decide to go to Athens? So I specifically went to the University of Georgia because my mentor and supervisor, Dr. Joel Ringdahl, left SIU to go to Georgia. So funny backstory. I went to Southern for Dr. Ringdahl as well. And so um, he and I had been discussing PhD options and then the opportunity for him to go to UGA and take two students. Um, He took myself and he took Dr. Maggie Maloney. Shout out to Maggie. Um, He took us with them when he left SIU um, to pursue our PhD. And so I would have applied to stay at SIU had he stayed. Um, but UGA was just in the cards for me. I feel like we were very similar because in undergrad, Dr. Baker was my supervisor. And that same year that Dr. Ringdahl was leaving, Dr. Baker had decided to leave to go to University of Michigan. Uh And I was all set. I was accepted to go into the master's program at Southern and then Dr. Baker left and I was like, hmm, I don't know if I can do this without you. <laughs> so <laughs> I just took time off. And then I was like, I have to go back to school. So I kind of struggled, but I really miss Dr. Baker there. Um, He and I have chatted on Zoom several times. He helped me a lot with the VA, the VCS program here. Um, He's doing great. Oh, I know he's doing great <laughs> because it's Dr. Baker, but... <laughs> Shout out um, to Do- Dr. Jonathan Baker if you're listening. Yes, shout out <laughs> to Do- to jo- Dr. Jonathan Baker. I had last emailed him when I passed my boards because Dr. Baker has like a hundred percent pass rate on all of his boards. So even though he hadn't like directly supervised me for my BCBA hours, he did for my BCABA hours. Mm-hmm. So after I passed the first time, I just touched base. I feel bad for Danny, though, because she went to Southern and she she just did psychology. So she didn't know any of the like awesome bat professors until she was in grad school. I just feel like she missed out on the awesome. There was a dream team there for a little bit. Yeah, it had a long run. <laughs> OK, when did you know you were interested in pursuing a so PhD? It's interesting. Um, I looked at it more from the stance of I still felt like I had more to learn um, about the field. So in the end of my last fall semester, which would have been fall of 2014, I I definitely felt like I was good at behavior analysis, like I was making good grades and everything was making sense. But the thought of graduating and being like, quote, in charge as a BCBA was scary and I was just like I am not ready for that um 
I'm not ready to be in charge of someone's intervention. I'm not ready to make those decisions because I just felt like there was more to know. I was just struggling with my mental health there for a while too. And just, I, there was definitely a level of comfort of just staying in school and staying a student and sure, taking out loans. Like I knew what that life was like. Um, and so I think that was a little bit of it as well. Not being ready to grow up a little bit of a Peter Pan, you know, lifestyle, a little bit of just stay where I am. But for the most part, it was, I, there's still more to know. There's still more to learn. I'm not ready. Right. I feel like we can all relate to that in some sense. There's definitely things I don't want to grow up about, <laughs> but being, being in school and then continuing to go to school is very real. I feel like it's also very real in a sense when like no one in my family had graduated college and then my brother and I were first generation. So we start school and I didn't know anybody at Southern when I went because it's out of state for me. I go and I like create this entire community there. And before you know it, by the time I graduate, all all of my like very close peers in school and all of my supervisors are all grad students or like everybody that's graduating with me is getting ready to go to grad school. So what makes the perfect sense for me going to grad school? And then as soon as you get into like a behavior analysis program or like a master's program anywhere, everybody comes to the time when they're like edging to like fade out of the program. And then you're just like, oh, what do I do now? And then half of those people are like, I'm just going to get a PhD. So it's like, it makes sense. But I think it really only makes sense because you're immersed in that environment anyways. So just like, oh, all these other people are doing it. Like, it makes sense for me to kind of do that too. But I think there's an issue there where you can kind of like lose yourself and lose like what your real intentions are. And then before you know it, you're just doing a program you didn't want to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna process this and what you I, I think for sure, you know, there's like this moment of like getting a job and getting an apartment and moving away or staying, you know, depending on if you, you know, because um SIU had a PhD program, you know, so it's like, well, do I just stay here? Um, spoiler alert, I really didn't like Carbondale. It was cool, it had its moments. Athens was way cooler. And I do think we find ourselves in a field of continuing education. We talked about this earlier, just the three of us, about CEUs and having to continuously keep learning and being engaged in some form of higher education. Um, And so I do think that there are benefits to continuing on into a PhD. And then there are some things that I'm like, man, I really, I could have, I could have, you know, it's just like that other path, right? I think at least in Danny and I's cohort, every single one of us had been kind of reached out to by a professor and offered like, hey, would you like to do the PhD program? Like, I'm really interested in you staying, blah, blah, blah. And I've had to tell professors before, like, I came back to school to get my master's. I'm fully and totally intending on just getting my master's like if I were to go get a PhD I wouldn't want to do it any other way than I had done my undergrad 
and which was like taking that gap year or two in between and then like figuring out what I wanted to do to genuinely make sure I wanted to do a PhD program. Like if I could get into a PhD program off the bat, I should still be able to get into a PhD program when I have more experience in that same field. So that oh, was kind of my a take thousand on percent. It. You could apply tomorrow to different PhD programs and they would accept you. Like, yeah, I'm not worried about that, but I also <laughs> don't really want a PhD. <laughs> and I mean, I say that, but I have definitely flip-flopped in like, ooh, do I need a PhD? Well, I think Danny's thought about that too, haven't you? Honestly, I feel like everybody in our cohort at least once <laughs> has said, should I go back to school <laughs> since we graduated? And for me, it's always been like, if I can justify the cost and the time, like, what is that extra degree going to do for me? So, Kayla, like, as a BCBA, like, what can you do with a PhD that you maybe can't do with a master's? Like, what's the difference there? Ooh, so I let me first start off by saying, like, I have never worked in a clinical setting in which there were billable hours. So at Georgia, our small clinic at the time was it was it was it was essentially free and you know we were providing services once or twice a week for an hour at a time like it wasn't super intensive it was for research pur- research purposes and mm-hmm. small behavior small behavior change on like a small level if that makes like you know like functional communication training some basic um beha- behavior change mild problem behavior and so i don't know if there's anything billable related to a master's versus a PhD level BCBA, I won't speak to that. What I will speak to is that there are things coming down the pipeline from ABAI and the BACB regarding prep programs. So I am the VCS coordinator at the University of Mississippi for our ABA program. And so right now, anybody in academia that's dealing with accreditation through ABAI are stressed out because there are changes happening that will go into effect in 2027. And then there are more changes that will come into effect in 2032. Now, hearing that number 2032, it's like, oh, well, it's fine. That's super, you know, that's almost 10 years away. (laughs) It's really close when you're on this side of it with a program and build syllabi and students. And it seems like the way I'm reading it, more information to come in 2032, only BCBA D's will be able to provide super supervision. Don't quote me on that. There are still a lot of questions regarding this accreditation process and, uh, and regarding the changes that are happening at the prep program level. But it does seem like BCBADs will be the ones providing supervision 2032 onward. For all levels, that includes RBTs. I don't if- want to put this out there in the podcast universe that, well, Dr. Crook said, again, there are a lot of questions. There's going to be um, several talks and panels at ABBA this year about this process. But the way that I read it, and I am only a human being, um, that is how I read it. Now, at the RBT level, I don't know because clinics may not have a BCBAD on staff. Um, but at the prep level, at the at the you know graduate level, it reads like that could be what is in the future. 
Okay, because... But I don't know. Like, again, Dr. Crook said, no, she did not. She said there are a lot of questions about what is happening in the next several years regarding prep programs and who can teach and who can provide supervision and what that looks like. I'm telling you, the listserv, the emails that I get every day, we're all freaking out. We don't know what to do. Wow. Interesting. Interesting. PBD, I already feel stressed about this. But that's not convincing me to get a PhD so far. <laughs> and like I said, I've never done billable hours. So I don't know if there's anything, any difference between a BCBA and a BCBAD when it comes to billable um, and who has to sign off on like assessments or interventions or or whatnot. I don't, I don't know. Um, I've never had to do that. Um, and so from my standpoint as an academic behavior analyst and and kind of leading and growing a program there's there's not from my level but it could be one day I think for a PhD like when I sit on interviews for like programs here in the school of education the my first question to them is that you research right because when you in education we have an EDD which is a doctoral in education which is more practitioner based right and so you know, I, um, I've sat on interviews where, like, I really want to be a great leader and a great teacher and administrator um, in the classroom and, and continue learning, right? Like I mentioned with myself, but they don't mention anything about research. And so we often guide them into the EDD route. And I think that could be similar as BCBAs too. Like, we love practice. We, we're applied, right? So we, we love to implement behavior change programs and see changes and help families of all varieties make growth, but then there should be a little piece of research, right? Mm-hmm. Especially if you're a, if you're a PhD and you're a BCBD, there still should be a little bit of like, huh? I wonder what would happen if we did this, you know? And and that piece of your brain kind of always working, and that's another reason why I I did decide to go to PhD because I was really like, when we would read articles, like, oh, that's really cool, but I wonder what would have happened if they would have done this. You know, and so like I'm always thinking about it, even if I don't do a lot of research, I still am have that critical brain or that critical piece when I'm reading and and teaching. I feel like that's pretty similar to Danny and I's perspective. Like we are still very much like, oh, what if the research did it this way? In a lot of ways, like Danny and I are way too like critical thinkers to just kind of like shut that off just because we ended up only getting a master's. Mm -hmm. But I also feel like please don't please don't (laughs) shut that off. I won't shut it off, but I do feel like there's ways you could collaborate having a master's that doesn't necessarily mean you have to get a PhD to like be in step with that doing that research. If you have the right network, I feel like if you don't have anybody in your network that has a PhD, it might be challenging because I I have found it, it seems like if you just have a master's, it might not be as like readily accepted if there's not a PhD attached to whatever program or maybe research that you're trying to do. But if you have PhDs in your network that you're willing to work with, I think that could absolutely keep you in that realm without actually getting a PhD yourself. Absolutely. And I, I mean, I learn from everyone. And I, so I don't like the, the just a master's, like, because y'all do so much more than I do. Like, I'm just an academic. I, I teach 
and I grade, right? Um, and y'all are the ones that are are doing the work. And so I think we all bring different skills and different interests and different levels to um to to the field. I love teaching. I love I do love supervising, even if it is very stressful. Um and I love helping students, whether they be my undergrads in teacher education or my grad students in ABA, learn about behavior differently and and helping them kind of understand why we do what we do or why a student does what they do and how it's not personal. Behavior's not personal. It's all about reinforcement and punishment. And when an undergrad finally learns that, it's like, oh, yeah, see, (laughs) that's it. And then, you know, this necessary component again another piece too like if you are ever you know just curious and you want to get on the BACD website and look at the handbook for like programs it almost kind of reads like they want more programs to be doctoral level um and they and the the goal being within the next 20 years for that to be BCBAD levels not necessarily only but that's kind of the push, right? Where, where it's like, we we had be we do have. I mean, Mariah's talked about her experience going through the BCABA program, right? But we have RBTs, ABAs, and BCBAs, and then the doctoral, and it, it's almost like they're kind of leaning more towards this ladder being heavier on the the PhD side. Looking- I could see that. I also feel like there's virtually like no BCABAs. And when you stumble across one, it's kind of like a pain in the ass to supervise that person because you're like, all right, you're like a glorified RBT at this point, but you still have to be supervised all the time. Like it's not taking anything off the BCBA's plate. Nope. And most BCABAs I've met are like in transition. Like I'm working on getting my BCBA. I don't know anybody that just stopped at a BCBA. Which is why I just decided not to even test for that. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Well, and what's the pay difference between an RBT and a BCABA? That would depend on your funding source. Okay. I, yeah. I, that was a legitimate question. I, I really don't know. But mm-hmm. I will say back to the ABA portion, I have not met a BCABA, period. Um. So Mississippi is... If anyone wants to come here and and Oxford is great, um, please come and be my friend. Uh, we really need BCBAs in this state, um, which is part of the reason why, you know, our the program is growing at Ole Miss. I'll also plug Mississippi State's program. They're phenomenal in Starkville. Um, we have more of an education base here um, in this program, and then their program is more clinical and psych- psychology based. Um, but we're the only two in the whole state of Mississippi. Whoa. Let that, let that sink in for a second. Like, so there is a clinic here in Oxford that's a branch of a, there's one in Tupelo and there's one in Oxford. It's the North Mississippi Autism Center. Um, and they, I, RBTs and BCBAs. Like, I don't, I don't know any BCABAs that are working personally. So I just think that over time, you know, I think someone asked, or maybe it's in our, our list of questions, you know, is a PhD necessary? I think in 20, 30 years, I think we will see that change. Um, Joel Ringdahl would say, yes, everyone should get a PhD. <laughs> um, but I just think over time, 
that's I now that's not to say that everyone you know at some point is grandfathered in or you know they're not going to take away certifications that have already been established but new certifications are going to require more supervision more content hours um and essentially it is almost like well why not you know does that make sense yeah, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, you wouldn't want to lessen hours. I also think it depends Listen, on the... 2,000 hours <laughs> is so much. Oh, my gosh. It it's, is? It sounds like a lot, but also looking back, I'm like, no, I could have done with more supervision. <laughs> then that's true, too. You know, like... I oh finished my, my supervision by, like, March or something of my last semester, and then I have other friends who, like, maybe didn't track as well. So they had to kind of, like, scramble t- till the end to just kind of, like, make sure they were getting enough hours. And I was just, like, chilling, focusing on editing my thesis and, like, oh, God. <laughs> vibing. <laughs> but, I mean, I was still there. I still did all the things I would have needed to track for hours anyways. You can't just, like, get out of your responsibilities because you tracked efficiently right no truthfully i feel like the biggest drawback to the master's degree was the thesis so i think for a lot of people like the biggest hurdle of a phd then Mm -hmm. is the dissertation because that's like a thesis on steroids so like how did your dissertation go how did that affect your mental health tell us about that a little bit okay Mm, how do i word this y'all you I can am say pass- it was terrible. It's fine. No, 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 no. I, it wasn't. <laughs> I, I am trying to make that sound like that I didn't just ease my way into a dissertation because that's not what happened at all. I am just a work smarter, not harder person. Mm-hmm. And Joel and I talked a lot and he had to reel me in a lot to be like, you are not saving the world with this dissertation. He's like, I'm super proud of you that you have all these ideas. And I think they're really cool. Um, But your goal is to graduate. And here's what we need to do. And I think something about research and your niche within behavior analysis, you've got to play to your strengths, right? And so what I was super interested in and what I was, I mean, just to be very honest, and what I was really good at is tier one interventions and the classroom. And so tier one, just is that's your whole um, classroom management. So like everybody in the classroom receives this type of strategy whether that that includes how the room is set up that includes the teeth the lessons the teaching plan like the teaching of the lesson that includes like any kind of like whole class token economy anything that is available to everyone is considered tier one this is kind of where i fit and the good behavior game or the copying good game or whatever name you want to call it with group contingencies it's not difficult to run um, and again, I'm, I'm work smarter, not harder. Um, and they work. That's the cool thing about group contingencies is they work. And so I was very lucky enough to have wonderful teachers who were willing to work with me. Um, I had a wonderful committee who helped me keep on track and turn back edits very quickly. And I rocked a di- dissertation out in about six weeks. Wow. Um, <laughs> in unison here. That is that is how quickly behavior can change within within a group contingency and within tier one. Some things to consider and remember, I didn't have to get informed consent because 
it's de-identified data. I wasn't taking um, individualized data. I was taking whole class. Um, and so I got consent from the teacher um, and that passed through IRB for anyone listening who's thinking about research because the good behavior game and group contingencies are an already established evidence-based practice. And so because of that, the IRB we presented it within within that context within the IRB. Anyone can do a group contingency within a classroom as part of their tier one strategy management. And therefore, if a teacher can do it without informed consent, this research project falls under that because it's just, it's best practice. Um, and so that was one piece, right? So I didn't, so I had, what is that called? The expediated IRB approval where you don't have to go to the big board and they question everything. Is it expedited? There we go, expedited, thank you. <laughs> what <laughs> is expedited for what is... 100? <laughs> um, so that was one piece. So that that happened very quickly. I did not have to get informed consent um, for the students within the classroom. That was another piece that went in to, you know, the quickness of my study. Um, the classrooms were struggling. I mean, and it, it wasn't a secret that they were struggling, right? Um, and so you go in, you get baseline, you're like three or four data points, and there is no appropriate behavior happening. You rock and roll with the good behavior game, and you will see behavior change very quickly. Um, and so I rocked it out. And I, I mean, and I'm very fortunate that that is where my research lies, and that's where my interest is. I, not everybody's like that. My friends took them six months, you know? So it's like... And but they loved it, you know. That's that's their thing. Um, and so now writing it was another story. <laughs> writing it is the hard part. Um, I love data collection and graphing and IOA. Love it. Please don't ask me to write a discussion because I hate it so much. And so it was worth it. I mean, finished it in twenty nineteen. 2023 it's finally published in the journal of uh positive behavior supports go look it up to kayla crook uh plug for me right there um <laughs> but as far as my mental health that's not what hit my mental health the dissertation was not what hit it what hit my mental health had to do a lot with um severe behavior so if you and your listeners are familiar with joel ringdahl you know his research lies a lot with severe aggression and self-injury and that is still true to today and we were working with a lot with several clients um, both in the classroom and in the clinic who engaged in severe behavior and that just takes a toll on you um, whether you're the client and the family of the client um, or the clinician that's running those sessions um, you take it home you literally get beat up physically and mentally and that's just uh, that was a big part of it with the mental health i also wanted to note that just because you go to a grad program doesn't mean you're automatically going to be asked to do a thesis so the grad program that danny and i picked a thesis was involved mm -hmm. and in some ways i feel like i've heard other people say that like they look at like a program who made you do a thesis a little bit more maybe if you are going to like pursue a phd I see what you're saying. Yes. Whereas, like, maybe you did, like, some other course and it didn't have you do any, like, research no. aspect of it. Absolutely. So that's a good point. So 
the program here at the University of Mississippi, um, we do what's called a capstone. And it is essentially, it, they have a research question, but they answer it through research, like published research. Like they don't actually manipulate any variables and conduct a project. Um, they can, should they choose to, most don't. Um, and so with these changes coming down the pipeline, that's going to change and programs have to do a thesis or quote a thesis equivalent, which again, what does that mean? We will ask those questions in our many Zooms and webinars that, you know, we're attending as coordinators. But you're right. Like, so say one of my students wanted to go and get in and pursue a PhD. Their application could be looked at in a in a um a way of well how much research do they have because they did a capstone versus a thesis so that's that's a good point. I think Southern, uh, because for a while I was like the student coordinator for incoming grad applications and I helped everybody like do that process as a GA. Mm-hmm. So I think we technically had an alternative to our thesis, but literally no one took it. So I can't even recall what it was because it was so like mm. obscure. <laughs> I think it was like meta-analysis related, something that, like that. That Which, sounds way worse. That sounds like doing a whole intro. Oh, it's a lit review. Oh, it's terrible. Yes. Yes. It's, that's it's, I, That's what it was. Now- like I said, I love doing like data analysis and stuff. So like coding articles, I love it. I love coding articles. I'll do that all day long. Don't ask me to write it up. Um, I wanted to touch on the price of obtaining a PhD um, in the sense of I think I made choices personally for myself to take out student loans dun, 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 um, because I wanted to live by myself. And I wanted to live in an apartment that I was comfortable in, in a part of town that I kind of was, I lived in a part of town that was near a grocery store and, you know, a movie theater. It was like centrally located. And that was my choice. I want to be very clear about that was my choice to take out student loans. I had a graduate assistantship and I that came with a tuition waiver and a stipend and many of my friends finish their PhD program without a single loan because they chose to live with roommates. They chose to, you know, supplement their income with babysitting or tutoring or X, Y, or Z. And I did not. I made that choice for myself, um, for my mental health, for my education, because I know my limits. Um, but you, it is possible to continue education without as many loans as I took. I'll put it that way. Do I feel that now? Absolutely. We all do if we have student loans. But mm-hmm. at the PhD level, there are assistantships, there are scholarships, there are opportunities that you don't need to take out loans, especially if you're willing and able to live with a partner or a roommate and and supplement your income in other ways. So those was- are good take home points because I mean, even from my RA days into grad school. I will say I have a track record known that I do not cohabitate well with others. Like my partner and probably my sibling are the only like adults I could uh, cohabitate with and stay alive. <laughs> or or keep them alive. <laughs> yes, or keep them alive. So um, 
I mean, I feel like I would have a similar boundary as you. Like, you kind of need a spot to, like, decompress on your own. Like, I don't know. There's so many benefits to me of living alone that they far outweigh a roommate. And I would be willing to, like, have a loan to cover that for a few years. And that that was my choice. For sure. But people babysitting as a side hustle getting a PhD, like... That's a hard no. <laughs> well, I do think one alternative, right? Because if you're considering a PhD and we're talking about in behavior analysis specifically, it is very likely that you're already a BCBA. You could take contract work, have some clients on the side or something, and that way you're still having a side hustle, but it might be a little bit more lucrative than something like babysitting. <laughs> it would. Um, check your contract and check with your mentor if that's allowed. Very true. It'll um, depend on where you are and what you're doing. <laughs> correct. But absolutely. I mean, I'm sure there are, especially, you know, there are several, there are online PhD programs within behavior analysis as well um, that are fantastic. And so uh, that's also an op- a, a possibility and an opportunity, right, to work and work towards a PhD. Wow. I feel like we've got a lot to think about now. Do we finally get to talk about bits and bobs? Oh, yeah. Let's do it. Since you're so excited, why don't you start us off with your bits and bobs, Kayla? All right. My bits and bobs is I'm going to promote and plug my favorite um, jewelry, like Instagram slash Etsy shop that I found. It's called Stamped and Finch. Stamped is like the word stamped and Finch, F-I-N-C-H. And at one point they did live in Athens, but they have since moved to, I think, Asheville? Greenville? I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. But I am a very dainty person um, when it comes to jewelry. And so I love simplistic pieces. And this is Stamped and Finch's like complete aesthetic. Um, and it's all customizable. They have earrings, they have rings. My favorite are their necklaces. Um, if y'all can see, since we're on Zoom together, I have this little pearl. Um, this is from them. And then I have another necklace in which I had them st- uh, put a lot um, because I have been called a lot in a negative way. And I decided to embrace that word um, this year. And so I love them. You can find them on Etsy. And I provided the link um, to Danny and Mariah. So they'll put it in the show notes. I love that. They're really cute actually i i, I just love the same on the type of jewelry <laughs> yeah they're really cute yes we're definitely going to include the link in the show notes because they i just am looking at the website and they're super cute and um shipping i think i've, I've always gotten stuff within like two weeks so it's it's very reasonable shipping mm. as well Ooh, and they're small business that. so support small businesses Woo-hoo. amen right okay mariah what's your bits and bobs all right, mine may not be as exciting as Kayla's, <laughs> but I have been journaling a lot more lately. This was not a previously discussed goal, but I've mentioned it quite a few times on the podcast already. My preferred journals that I would recommend is the classic moleskin journal. I mean, you can basically find these anywhere. They have like Kind of like a cult following, but for a good reason. They're pretty durable. The specific one that I like is the OG classic notebook. I prefer the ruled 
with the hard cover they also have a soft cover so if you're into that like flexi cover life maybe that's for you it's not for me i need like a rigid edge (laughs) (laughs) um but it's really great i have several and the classic version at least comes with an elastic strap a ribbon bookmark and a small envelope in the back in case you're like a trinket collector or something you want to keep like I don't know, a movie ticket or like a Polaroid in there. Something cute. I have one as a daily journal that I got in like their bright red color because I just wanted to be extra but minimal. She wanted wanted to be a lot. (laughs) Yes. Um, It also works for me as like a visual prompt. Almost everything in our house is wood toned. Like we have a play on various wood grains And then we have black, white, or gray. So when I get something in color, it gives me like that little extra prompt like, hey, this is novel for the environment. So I tend to look at it more and therefore utilize it more. And that's how I continue to have a journaling habit. But I also have a black one, a gray one. I keep like work stuff in one, kind of like work to-dos, like stuff for the company And then a black one, I just have, like, a daily to-do list. I have other ones that are just, like, travel. (laughs) You should have a moleskin for everything. Joel Ringdahl would second that. Oh, here you go. Ringdahl approved. You're talking about these, right? Like, these, like... Yeah. Yeah. Like, this is what he uses. Wow. Just blank paper. Blank. I mean, Leaves he, a lot he, of room for creativity, that's for sure. Yeah, this was like he one of his uh going away. Congratulations, you graduated. He gave me like a pack of five of them. Wow. Like I, I can confirm that Joel Ringdahl uses moleskins. What about your new bits and bobs, Danny? So mine is an album, music album. Um I am a typical millennial in that I have been a pop punk fan since the early 2000s. It was not a phase. Never was. Right. It's a lifestyle. Absolutely. So Fall Out Boy came out with a new album like maybe three weeks ago. And I'm obsessed. Yeah. So much for Stardust. It's so good. Highly recommend. I love them so much. So I have not listened to this yet and i'm actually kind of embarrassed now as you honestly should be like it makes me want to they're gonna be on tour in st louis in july maybe uh it makes me want to buy tickets for that you 100 percent should treat yourself those were some great bits and bobs kayla can you tell our listeners how to contact you yeah um my email is my first name k-a-y-l-a a a period and then my last name c-r-o-o-k two five at gmail.com awesome just a reminder that behind behavior officially has a new facebook page and everybody can follow us there including your grandma If you're way more hip or a millennial, you can follow us on Instagram at Behind Behavior Pod, or you can always email us at contactbehindbehavior at gmail.com. 
let them know how much you love me and you want me to come back. <laughs> Thanks for listening today. You can find us on Instagram at, at Behind Behavior Pod. Or if you're old school, send us an email at contactbehindbehavior at gmail.com. Smell you later. Thank you.